0: Well, welcome this morning and uh, to the house of the Lord, and it's great to be in the house of the Lord this morning to praise and worship our Saviour, and um, I thank you for the singers and musicians, most of my family, basically, So, uh, uh, but it's a real honour and privilege to be here today and to share the Word of God, and I thank um, Pastor John um, for the invitation to, to come. I've preached here a couple of times before, uh, a couple of years ago, about two years ago I think it was. Um, I'm not really a a preacher as such. I'm a little bit more used to street preaching and and witnessing on the streets, doing outreach. So, and I mentioned this last time, if you do want to heckle me, please go ahead. Um, I will feel very comfortable if you do heckle. John, not you though, okay? Um, But if you do want to do that, that'll be fine, okay? So we're coming here this morning to share the Word of God and... I really do enjoy coming here. Our family enjoys coming here. We always feel very warmly welcome, and it's a lovely fellowship here. It's a lovely building, lovely place. People are fantastic, very warm, very welcoming. Maybe it's something in the water down here, I don't know, but you all look so healthy and well and full of joy, praising the Lord. You're really a good-looking bunch, so it's really great. And I really can't go on much further than that. That's, those compliments are way too many, all right? But well, what I want you to get thinking about is how does it feel when you are complimented? How does it feel when someone says something good about you? About they praise you? We feel good, don't we? Um, we like to be praised. It's nice. We are an emotive lot, it's part of our DNA. To have someone say something good about us or uh, to do something and ha- then to have that actually recognized. It gives us pleasure. So, what makes you happy? What pleasures do you pursue? And that might be one of the most uh, important things about you. For if you look at where your pleasures are, that's where your heart w- will be. And today we find that the self esteem and, and self love reign in the thought process of, of what, is, what we think is right. Okay? If it makes you feel good, then it's okay for you. do now don't get me wrong pleasure is good God has wired us to pursue pleasure and enjoy it and it's good to be recognized and awarded for something that you've done the problem arises when that is our sole motivation when we place that above God and so the question is will we seek the truest and highest pleasures or will we settle for lesser ones that lead to destruction? In other words, do we seek the praise of God or the praise of men? How much do we crave the approval and the praise of people, believing it is essential to personal well-being and happiness? This craving for praise is an infectious disease that leads us uh, in a direction opposite to that of faith and joy. And with the self-esteem movement that's making its impact on our culture, it seems that many of us have come to believe that to think well of ourselves, or more accurately, to be fought well by others seeking the praise of men, is of paramount importance. But there is danger in that. So today I want to look at the praise of men. Next week, yes, I'm here next week as well. It's a, a two-game deal. It's a two-game transfer deal. Um, we'll look at the praise of God. And and Pastor John has already mentioned that next week might look a little bit like the rapture here. A number of people I believe are uh, traveling next week will be away, but that's okay. That's not a problem. You can always listen uh, online to the recording. So we want to look at the praise of, of men. In my uh, sermon here, I've actually, there's a typo. And When I was reading through the sermon this week for about the 200th time, I actually had written the praise of me. And that's actually pretty apt. That's what it's about, really. It's about me, myself and I. So it's about the praise of me, about the praise of men. That's what we're after. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this gathering this morning and that we can listen to your word. I pray, Lord, that is what we hear this morning, Lord, that it is of you and not of me. I ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit, that your Spirit will give me boldness and courage to preach your word, more of you and less of me, Lord. So I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. So we'll look at the praise of men. Um, and what we'll do is we'll look at uh, Acts chapter 12. And we'll look at the praise of men in the word, uh, in the world, sorry, in the Bible and in the church. We'll look at some of the results of that, what it may look like if we do put that as our sole motivation. And then the markers as well. So maybe some of the characteristics that we may find in our own lives as well. And then we'll finish by just having a little, uh, a short glimpse at uh, next week the praise of God. So the scripture verse that I'd like to look at today is uh, in Acts chapter 12 and it's a well-known story in chapter 12 Herod Agrippa has killed James the the half-brother of Jesus and he's put Peter in prison uh, heavily guarded and Peter is really really concerned in fact Peter is so concerned about what's happening to him that he is asleep he must be part Fijian maybe Uh, and it's good to see that Peter has uh, practice what he preaches. We read later on in 1 Peter 5 7 he says, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. So Peter is asleep at that stage. An angel appears, wakes him up and Peter escapes. And then it comes to a really funny situation I reckon. Uh, Peter uh, is left standing at the door uh, knocking on the door where the early church uh, are gathered to pray for him, for, to, for him. And so the servant girl hears his voice and, and is so excited that he leaves him at the door and goes and tells the others. And so it's interesting that God can get Peter out of prison, but he can't get him into a prayer meeting. Uh, so Agrippa finds out what's happened, uh, that Peter has escaped again. He kills the soldiers who are guarding uh, Peter. And then he nicks off, off uh, down to the beach, down to Caesarea, to get away from it all, where he dies a painful death eaten by worms. Lovely. Now, I don't want to focus on Peter this morning. I want to focus on Herod, Agrippa. Okay? He bookends chapter 12 at the start and at the end. So I want to read uh, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, and then 20 to 23. And as we read, um, I want you to think about what the kind of person that Herod actually is. So now about the time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass someone from the church... Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Go to verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon but they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus the king's personal aid their friend they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day Herod arrayed in royal apparel sat on his throne and gave an oration to them and the people kept shouting the voice of a god and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. All right. So what kind of a person was Herod Agrippa? What do you think? What kind of a person was he? Well, he was a a people pleaser, I think you would agree. He liked the praise of men. In fact, he would have made a... Well, he's a good politician. That's what politicians are. They, They love the praise of men. They like to please the people no matter what. And that's exactly how Herod was. So Herod was the grandson of Herod the Great, who, if you remember, um, when Jesus was born, he, he killed all the firstborn babies. And Herod Agrippa was uh, brought up in the Jewish ways, the Jewish traditions. And being a, a good politician, he found himself governing in Judea, and he loved to please the Jewish leaders. In putting, Jesus to, uh, putting James to death, he saw that it pleased the people, and so he ramped it up a bit and took hold of Peter, another of the early uh, Christian church leaders. But because of the Passover, the feast at that time, and knowing the Jewish traditions and not wanting to upset the Jewish leaders, he couldn't kill Peter, he couldn't try him, particularly on the high established, he couldn't do that during that time. So he put him into um, prison. Um, and his plan was to wait until after the Passover, uh, to, he's finished, and kill him. See, Jerusalem at that time was full of pilgrims. It was packed, it was chockers. It was really, there's so many people coming to Jerusalem at that time for the Passover. And after the Passover, they still would have been there. And so it would have been a perfect time for um, Herod to put on this show and to bask in the glory and put Peter before them and, and to seek after even more the praise of men. But his plan failed. See, you dare to take on God, you're going to lose. And so like I said, he departed for Caesarea and there was a famine at that time and they were supplying food to other places and for some reason he was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon who were traditionally um, in conflict with those in Israel. And these people f- uh, from the northern cities, they sought a meeting with Herod and so he, he got all dressed up and, and, and spoke to them. And he delighted in, flattering, in their flattering response This is the voice of God and not of a man, they shouted. Now, knowing the Jewish ways, he should have rebuked them. But being a people pleaser and loving the praise of men, he didn't. He basked in the glory there. The fear and awe of the one true God should have led him to protest, but he didn't. For his failure to give glory to God, he was immediately struck by an angel of the Lord and he suffered an excruciating death because of of his lack of reverence for God. And this is what the Jewish historian uh, Josephus said. He says that Herod put on a garment made entirely of silver, and when the sun's ray hit hit it, it was so resplendent that the people were awestruck. Either being carried away or perhaps to flatter him, they cried out that he was a god. And when he did not rebuke them, He immediately got a severe and violent pain in his belly and after five days of awful suffering, he died at age 54. So Herod knew enough about God that he should have seen God's hand in Peter's deliverance and realized that he was fighting against God and he should have remembered the story of King Nebuchadnezzar whom God humbled for his pride and we'll read about that shortly. But instead, Herod foolishly accepted the praise of these people that were under his power. And since he did not give glory to God, God used a lowly worm to bring this humanly powerful and proud man down. And so if we look around the world today and in history, we see evidence of man taking credit for what God has done or what for God has allowed a couple of months ago, we, we celebrated uh, the 50th anniversary of uh, man landing on the moon. Some of you may have remembered that. I, I wasn't born then. But looking back at some of the documentaries there, I was really amazed and astounded at the man's achievement of the, you know, the technology or the lack of technology back in those days. And for them to send someone to the moon and back again was just amazing, really impressive. And so it's very easy to say how great man is. The scientists, the astronauts, the engineers, the leaders at that time. Real testament to man's achievement. But the credit belongs to God. For if God didn't want us in space to land on the moon, they, they wouldn't have done so. Okay? God deserves the credit. And I'm sure you can think of other examples uh, in the world where man takes the credit. One of the astronauts there, at, interestingly, Buzz Aldrin, is a Christian and he recognised God's hand in this and he celebrated communion on the moon to give thanks to God. So not only was it 50 years of celebrating man on the moon, but also 50 years of the first celebration of the Lord's Supper on the moon, on the moon, at the Lord's table on the moon. Pastor Bill Randalls was here just recently, um, here in Carrum Downs and up in Uh, Wonturna, uh and he, he uh, preached, and when he was preaching to us, he, he referenced uh, the history of Israel, uh, its formation as a nation again, uh, the wars, uh, the UN, and, and all of that. And in 1948, a real miracle occurred: a nation out of existence for 2,000 years reformed, a nation scattered from one end of the, the earth to the other. And you see, around 70 AD, the Romans spread the Jews all over the world. Um, obliterated for 2,000 years and then reconstituted. Absolute miracle. And the credit at that time, it went to the newly formed UN and the various leaders. But it wasn't the UN. It was God. God is working in the world today. Not the presidents, not Trump, not ScoMo, not the British, the Muslims, whoever. It is God. And it was prophesied in Zechariah 12. God said, I'll make Jerusalem. It's all about Jerusalem. It's all about God. And you look at the Israeli wars as well, the wars in which Israel, a number of times, were totally outnumbered but were victorious. In 1967, in particular, you think of the Six-Day War, an amazing victory. But it wasn't the IDF. It wasn't the Israeli Defence Force. It was God. And we can go on and on. So it's not presidents. It's not leaders. They are used by God. Is God at work. He deserves the praise. So let's go back to the Bible and, and look some examples in the Bible of people like Herod. And Daniel actually in Daniel two twenty one gives a, a similar warning or message about kings. It says God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. So it's God who does this, not man. God sets up kings and removes them and i think that's probably why we are told to pray for those in authority the government of the day whether we like it or not god has allowed it god has put them there but god also takes them away amen and let's look uh, at nebuchadnezzar in daniel uh, chapter 4 from uh, verse 28 it reads all this came upon king nebuchadnezzar And at the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honour of my majesty? So when Nebuchadnezzar boasted, a voice came from God and said, You will eat grass like an ox until you have learned that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. So you take God's credit, you're going to lose. And that very hour Nebuchadnezzar was driven from men and ate grass like an oxen. God alone is sovereign and will not permit man to take credit for his works. God is the creator. He is the king of kings. And we look in the account of the Tower at Babel in Genesis 11. And we see what people steeped in human pride, caught up in their own praise what they do. Genesis 11.4 says, They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So it was their goal to build a city in order to settle and not be scattered and to build a tower in order to make their name great. In other words, their disobedience in failing to spread out or over all the earth was driven by a love for the praise of themselves, make for ourselves a name, rather than a, pr- a love of the praise for God. And their quest to find security was found in their own means and methods build for ourselves a city rather than in obedience to God. And so that the quest to find happiness outside of God's clear intentions was their desire and was the source of the original sin in the garden as well. This selfish conviction is a real sin beneath every other sin, sin original sin. When the serpent tempted Adam and Eve, he did it ultimately with self-exaltation. You will be like God he said. And so every moment we operate out of selfish ambition and conceit, every time we think of ourselves as better than others or look only at our own interests for the, the praise of men, we're essentially saying that I am God. So what is the fuel for this strategy? Well, it's human pride. In our pride we want to make a name for ourselves. We seek the praise of men. But we need to be careful of human pride. Matthew 23:12, "Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The world still lives for praise and pleasure, and we make ourselves our own gods. Paul says of ungodly, ungodly men who exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And we see a very clear evidence of that in the world with the uh, climate change protest just on Friday. Worsh- Worshipping the creation and not the creator. God is in control. We, li- we still live in the physical and we tend to ignore the spiritual. 1 John uh, 2, 15-17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world and the world is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of a god of god abides forever so we still tend to live life by force and flattery rather by faith and truth but one day we'll be judged just a few more verses there's a number but just a few more john 5 44 how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only god and we see throughout the bible time and time again that rulers they feared the pharisees the jewish leaders there john 12 43 for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of god and proverbs 29:25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So clearly clearly we see in the word of God we are to be wary of the praise of men. And this praise of men has uh, got into the church as well, unfortunately. And it's very evident in church growth these days. If if you remember Peter's uh, sermon in uh, Acts chapter 2, It resulted in 3,000 conversions. Wow, that's pretty impressive. 3,000 conversions from just one sermon. But that incredible success had very little to do with Peter. He wasn't a dynamic leader, a visionary or a master strategist. In fact, he actually stumbles a lot through the gospel account and falls at the last hurdle, only to be graciously reinstated and commissioned by Christ. Peter did actually go on to uh, write a couple of uh, books or, or letters, uh, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Do they contain the secrets of, of successful ministry and, and church growth? Is it due to man or God? What did Peter say? Well, let, let's find out. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So it's all from God. And Paul puts it another way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says that God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. So today we find that coming from virtually every corner from um, me, social media to conferences to seminars. Um, church leaders are being called to imitate successful um, church leaders, other ones. And we wrongly attribute growth to men and women, to human strategies and ministry programs. And we forget what Peter and, and, and Paul expressed clearly, that God grows the churches and God saves the sinners. We are not the centre of all things. We like to be, but we're not the centre of all things. And you and I don't have to be the centre of all things. It's all right if we're not. And we'll never have the joy that we can have in Christ until we realise that the burden is not meant to be ours. Church is not about us. It's not to lift us up. Church is not about feelings, setting the mood, the sound, the repeating song words. It's about the worship of God, the Father. Praising the name of Jesus and knowing more about him, not us. But more on that shortly. Now let's have a look at uh, the result of praising men. What can we expect the outcome to be? To seek, to seek glory for ourselves is to declare war against God. God would not give his glory to another Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, this, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. If we seek to exalt ourselves, we'll surely be humbled. We must all be aware of the temptation of pride, of taking credit for ourselves when it is God alone in, in his mercy who deserves the praise. What else can can we expect when we we put man above God? Well, it's to to declare war against God. And if you declare war against God, it's eternal suicide because God always wins. See, Herod's glory was short-lived, but his misery is eternal. Even the Antichrist and the false prophet will only enjoy three and a half years of glory before God casts them into the lake of fire where Satan himself will end up. And all who never submitted to God will be thrown into that cauldron to be tormented day and night forever and ever. And we also see that life becomes about feelings. It's become based on feelings. We're up and down, aren't we? We're easily influenced and we're never content. And I've noticed working in the health field, the rise of the need for psychologists these days, it's quite staggering. It's a massive explosion going on in the field of psychology and it's starting from kids as well. They're booked out for months, these psychologists. And we, we, we tend to be relying on psychologists rather than trusting in God. So without the consistency of the Father in our life, we are led this way and that way, overtaken by our emotions but God is not up and down his grace and mercy isn't more today than yesterday and then less tomorrow God is not up and down it's his grace and mercy is not more for one person and less for another his grace and mercy was present before the start of time and will continue until the end of time it's constant unchanging just as God is and so without experiencing this, by focusing on the praise of men instead, life becomes solely based on feelings. No wonder we need psychologists. And this all then transcends into the church, as we mentioned earlier. It's based on feelings. It's more about what did I get out of church today instead of how did we glorify God today. The mood needs to be set with music and lighting, lighting and atmosphere. And the aim of church is to feel good little to do with glorifying god the hymns and choruses of church aren't meant to make us feel good but to lift us above our feelings into the awesome presence of god and unfortunately it's a placement very few christians get to experience sermons become motivational self-help kind of talks and they shouldn't be about building each other up but how we can build god up giving thanks to him and we find that the deity of Jesus is diminished as we focus solely on the praise of men. Our Saviour becomes just a good teacher. Uh, but his words are a bit harsh at times, you know. you know, I'll take these teachings, but I won't take those ones. It's a bit, a bit hard, you know, what he was saying. So I'll just choose those ones and live my life that way, I think. When we create a God to suit and know when we create a God to suit our own lifestyle. And this is dishonest. Thinking of a God you want and then worshipping what you think God should be. And what all this does, it it decreases the importance of the cross. Instead of it being finished, it's not enough. It becomes Christ, Christ plus this or that. Christ plus works, or Christ plus some church program, etc. Christ plus something else. It's not enough. And so ultimately the praise of men leads to false teaching and to cults where the upkeep of our lifestyle is paramount and the gospel is watered down. And we do what we feel is right in our own eyes. Does that sound familiar? Well, the kings, many kings in the Old Testament did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Remember, God sets up kings and removes them. So how do we know if love for the glory of man has gained a stronghold in our life? What does it look like in our lives? How can we recognize it? Let's look at some of the markers of that. And as I go through these, you may recognize some of those in your own life, possibly. Maybe you're, you're a bit of a show-off. We draw attention to ourselves by talking about how godly we are, how, talking about up our faith, making ourselves the centre of attention rather than God. Perhaps on social media there's a few too many selfies going on there. And I must say at this stage, Pastor John, because I know you are listening, just because you have a selfie stick doesn't mean that I, I put you into this category. Okay? And it's all about me, myself, and I. That may be another characteristic. When I was younger, I did this or that. Or I have so many Christian friends. Or I'm so holy. I'm so successful. When I was traveling here or there, it's all about me. My achievements, my life, my successes. No credit to God. No mention of failures and being restored by God's grace. Now, you may also talk too much maybe talk too little, it can go both ways. See we dominate conversations because I'm so good, you know, I'm the focus and the talk is all about me, I love to hear my own voice. Or we don't speak much because I'm above that, you know, I'm always right and I don't def- need to defend my point of view, I don't need meetings, I don't need discussions, it's a waste of time. I'm always right, it's all about me. Or we care too much about what others think. You think that you're it. You're the one. And so you want others to see that something too that you have. You do things for self-acclaim. And you're more concerned about the reaction of people rather than God's perspective. And we can go on and on. And I'll just quickly go through a few others. You measure your success by what you see and feel in the moment. You are motivated and unmotivated in your work, friendships, church by the praise or the lack of praise of those around you. Your decisions are often driven by what others will think. Do you recognise any of these so far? You are easily discouraged, irritated or angry when your efforts are not appreciated by others or when others receive credit for something you have done. And that's a hard one, isn't it? If we've done something, we like to be acknowledged. We like to be recognised for what we've done and someone else takes that credit. We're not very happy. When others praise you, you begin to feel self-confident in your own abilities rather than relying on the Lord to lead and provide. I can do stuff in my own strength. You're you more drawn to the type of work and serving opportunities that will be noticed and praised by others. And you measure success with a short-term view, uh, a short-term view rather than an eternal one. And listen, the, the list could go on and on, but hopefully these are a helpful start in examining the motives of our heart. Now, you may be thinking now, come on, Sean, you've got to lift us up. You're being too serious. All this doom and gloom. You know, I thought you were a bit more lighthearted than this. You know, I, I like the praise, I can handle that, and, and I can balance the two. You know, I can handle the praise of men and still seek after God. Well. True, that that, that may be the case, but let's be aware what motivates us the most. For where it comes to where we lay our affections, it gets serious. The praise of men is eternal suicide. God will humble us. On judgment day, we'll stand before God and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. So this is why it's important and it's serious to look at the praise of men, but be encouraged, because the flip side is marvelous. There is hope in the praise of God, and so be encouraged. If you're a child of God, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit and are in the process of sanctification, along with every other believer. And we'll focus on that next week. But today, in closing. I just want to give you a little taste of that. And In doing so, I want to contrast the account of Herod with that of Paul and Barnabas, the way they reacted when men started to praise them. And we see that in Acts chapter 14. I won't read it today. Um, we'll do that next week. But just to have a quick look at that. Paul and Barnabas had such a great reverence for God that they nearly panicked at the thought of being worshipped. Upon seeing the Apostle Paul miraculously heal a man who had been crippled from birth, the onlookers shouted, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And then they prepared to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. And when the Apostles heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, why are you doing these things? So we see in these contrasting biblical accounts of Herod and of Paul and Barnabas, We see a solemn call to give God reverence in our irreverent world. He is the only one worthy of glory, of praise and honour. And he is the only one who merits our worship. So when we shift our focus to seeking after the praise of God and not of man, it gives us a deeper appreciation of God. We start to truly experience God. See, we all have knowledge of God, don't we? but we may not have the passion for God. We gain a better appreciation of Christ and what he did on the cross for us. The trials, temptations and hardships of this world are all put into perspective. Yes, we'll still go through things, but we have an eternal viewpoint. And so our lives become fully in Christ. And our fellowship, our worship becomes true worship, where the focus is on what God has done for us us rather than the focus being on us but more on that next week as we look at the praise of God so today let's be wary of what motivates us the most is it the praise of man or is it the praise of God will we seek the truest and highest pleasures or will we settle for lesser ones that lead to destruction If it's the praise of men, it leads to destruction. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word today. God, I thank you that you are in control and not man. I thank you, Christ, that on the cross it is finished. And I thank you that you made it clear in your word that seeking after men will lead to destruction. Help us to seek your your glory, to seek after the praise of God. Let us meditate on your word today and act upon it. In the name of our wonderful Saviour, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.